Good morning, Northgate. Not quite sure by the time we're actually watching this tomorrow morning, today being Saturday, what it will be like, but I have a feeling we might all be indoors. It's going to look like it's a bit of a rainy day coming. But that's kind of good because if you're looking around like I'm looking around here in Carlton Place, everything is uh, very dry, especially this time of the year. I was out yesterday on the Mississippi River, which is just down at the end of my little road here, and canoeing, and parts of it were so shallow that I, I think, wow, I couldn't get very far in this. However, I was out with my one of my grandsons who was quite happy to go fishing and quite happy just to see minnows and drop a little worm on a hook and try to catch a minnow. Whatever makes a seven-year-old happy is fine by me and it brings me a lot of joy, which is what we're going to talk about today, what joy is. I've been reading Psalm um, chapter 1, just verses 1 to 3, and I want to read it to you out of the NLT because it has a very good definition of what really brings us joy. And it starts off in chapter 1 by saying this, Oh, the joys! Oh, the joys of those who do not follow in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing much fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. Oh, the joys. When I think of that beginning of that verse, I think what brings me joy. I had a lot of joy yesterday with my, my little grandkids. I had two of them here yesterday, and it brings me so much joy. But I was thinking, what brings you and I joy? What would we say is something that is a joy that's sustained in us, that stays with us? Is it our life, our job, our home? I think for most of us, we have joy, but it, it's always longing for something more. It's like there could be something better. So what gives us a sustaining joy? What gives us something that we're not looking for anything else. The scripture would say, like, what satisfies us? What brings you joy? I guess when I was thinking about that, I began to really ask myself the question, who do I know that has joy? I know people that own five cars and want to buy more. What's the deal? Is that joy? Well, it brings some joy, but we're talking about a not a situational joy, but a sustained joy. James talks about it. Take joy when you go through hardship, when you go through troubles. You have a joy. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. What is this joy? Well, Psalm 1, I think, very aptly points to what this joy is. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers. Oh, the joys of those of us that don't fit in. Those of us that the world would think, oh, they're not, they're not really cool, or they're, they're just not like us. Yeah, we're not. <laughs> and we're glad not to be. Because what gives us joy is different than what gives the world, the wicked, the the sinners, the mockers, what gives them joy? 
is very different than what gives us joy. Oh, the joys of those of us who don't fit into that system. We're surrounded by a world that is spinning, literally. I've been around a long time and I've never seen the world spin the way it is right now. Culture in upheaval and spirituality in upheaval and society and family and home and business and economics and the world in upheaval. I've never seen it like this. We've never been in a time like this. And I'm not just talking about COVID. I'm talking about changes everywhere. And the whole value system, it's not like it was. And so in Psalm 1, we're encouraged, find joy elsewhere, not in what's around us, not in truth as it's told us, not in moral values as they're instilled upon us by others, not in what the definition of love would be by those that may not really know love and can't define it differently than lust or greed. Really knowing what our identity is, how we were made and why we were made and the purpose that we were formed by God. What value do we have? When we know it, we find joy. And so Psalm chapter one, verses one to three is like a, a stop. It's like a pause, a recalibrate, like change direction, get back to it. Oh, the joys, if we don't follow the ways of the wicked, the sinners or the mockers. You know, I've been really challenged going through the New Testament over the last three months, this summertime with Northgate, as well as I've been going through the whole Bible through Nikki Gumbel's 365. So I've kind of had a double dose of readings and it's very good it's very challenging um quite a discipline to keep at it but it's been good it's been really good and in looking back having completed it this past week in looking back i've really enjoyed the discipline of digging deep into the word not just a few scriptures but passages sometimes six seven and eight passages like whole chapters that i've been reading between these two reading programs and it's been really good. I've been feeding on it. I've been letting the word sink into me. And I pray for myself as I pray for you that we will not lose that discipline of being in God's word. Letting it just sink into us. Our readings over the past few weeks have taken us through First and Second Timothy. And we at Northgate call ourselves a disciple-making church. And boy, there's no... I think better example of disciple making than Timothy. There's actually some programs called the Timothy program. And when we go through Timothy, we see the best of discipling taking place. And so it's interesting that in 2 Timothy chapter 3, between verses 1 and 5, it reads so much like the world is around us today. I'd like to just take a second and read that to you. 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 to 5, and it said, You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. Sounds like the times are in right now. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. 
They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Paul warns us, stay away from such people like this. They love pleasure rather than God. They act religious. There's some form of spirituality or even Christianity or whatever religion they choose. There's something religious about them, but there's no power within them. And see, that's what defines us as believers. Ones that truly belong to Christ and have the Holy Spirit within us and, and the presence of Christ in us. So we have power. We're different. And instead, the world system, those around us that don't want this relationship with God or don't have it or may have lost their way in it, they reject the power that could make them godly and instead go for pleasures and short-term things that won't last, but for the time bring some satisfaction and joy, but not lasting. I love how Timothy talks about in these last days and looking around to seeing what's going on in the the tragedy that's going on in Afghanistan and in many, many other countries, to see such things going on and hear the words of Jesus about he's coming soon. And I know for hundreds and thousands of years, people have been saying he's coming, he's coming. But it seems like more than ever, Jesus is going to be coming soon. In these last days, there will be difficult times. I don't know of a time where society has faced such difficulties and such godlessness, and preparing us likely for that one world government that the world talks about will take place in these last days. Jesus is coming again, but first we're going to have difficult days. On one hand, there's the world all around us and all the turmoil that's taking place there. But on the other hand, there's 2 Timothy verses 1 to 5, as we've been reading about just all of these things are going to take place, and we see that, but Psalm 1, by contrast, takes us back to a different place and speaks to us rather counterculturally than what Timothy is talking about. Psalmist says to us, Oh, the joy we find. Oh, what a blessed life we live now when we're not following all that surrounds us we're not taking their gospel as our gospel. We're driving it from the truth and drawing it from the true word, from truth itself. We're drawing it from the word of God. In Psalm 1, going on into verse 2, it says we delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night. Delight, it's not like just an ice cream cone where it tastes good for a second. Delight is something where you are bent toward it. You're drawn toward it. You're, you're leaning into it. You're making it part of yourself. It's affecting you. I was thinking of that picture as I see some of the fields nearby that have sunflowers and they just lean into the sun, wherever the sun is, and they follow it and lean into the sun. We delight in this law of the Lord. Now the law of the Lord, it's not like legalism. It's not like Jewish rules and regulations or things that were imposed on us. It's not like that at all. It's actually 
the, the word revealed to us, the life of God revealed to us, and we live out of the fullness of that. It's not legalism, but rather a response to the word. It's our own minds, it's our own beings overflowing with the word of God. Second Timothy chapter three goes on in verses 16 and 17 to say that all scripture, all scripture is inspired by God to teach us what is true. It's not around us where we're gonna find truth. It's in God's word where we're gonna find truth and that all scripture is inspired by God to do so. It's what is true and makes us realize what is wrong with our lives. Be honest, do you find at times you don't wanna get into God's word or you don't wanna pray or you don't wanna listen? And being honest, sometimes it's because I don't wanna be convicted. I don't wanna spend that time just kind of letting the Holy Spirit look inside and reveal what's there. But the word of God says every time we read it, What's going to happen if we allow the Spirit of God to do it? What's going to happen is it's going to convict us. We realize as we are in the Word what is wrong in our lives. And it convicts us of where we're wrong, but also teaches us how to do what is right. It's not just a no, 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 no. It's not, do it this way and you will find life. Psalm 1, do it this way. Don't do it the world's way. Do it this way and you will find joy. Do it this way and you will find life. God uses it, 2 Timothy says, to prepare. God uses his word to prepare you and I to equip us, his people, to do every good work. I guess if I think of that in another way, it means we can't really do good works without being equipped by the word of God. It's so invaluable and life-giving to meditate upon these truths day and night as Psalm 1 verse 2 says, letting the word of God fill us, fill our minds and fill our thoughts day in, day out. I often, in fact, probably every night, wake up with the word of God going through my mind and thinking. It's one of the clearest times that I think and pray and hear God. But it's hard work to stay in the discipline of this. It's hard work. It's it takes discipline as, as any of you that found that we're going through this reading program or going through any other reading program, it takes a lot of discipline to keep in that. And it's hard to bring our thoughts back. My mind will wander, I'll look out here and, and I know that it's hard. It takes discipline to bring our thoughts back and to keep in the word, even as we're reading it. It takes discipline to memorize it. It takes discipline to meditate on it, to not get sidetracked by other things that really don't matter so much. So we take time, that's our discipline. We take time to be in God's word and we take time to meditate on it, day in, day out, according to Psalm 1. Disciples are those who are being disciplined. They, they are disciplined in what they do. They're disciplined in their actions, they're disciplined in their thoughts, their disciples. So we as disciples of Christ are disciplined in the ways of Christ, in the ways of his word, because his word teaches us and shows us how we should live, convicts us and shows us how we should live. First Timothy chapter four, verse seven, 
tells us to train ourselves to be godly. That's our part. God does his part through the word, being in us, his spirit in us. But our part, we cooperate with the training. I can think all I want about exercising, but until I start exercising, I'm just thinking about it. It's only in my mind. It's not in my actions. Train yourself is like being a disciple. So every part of me is being trained to be godly. 1 Timothy 4 goes on in verse 13, and Paul encourages them, which I would say we're encouraged today, focus in on the scriptures. Keep your focus on the scriptures. Keep your focus on and in the word of God. When all around there are all these distractions and different teachings in different ways, this is the way you should go, this is the new truth, there's really no truth it, that's new. It's Talk about recycling, so much of it has been around for a long time. Nothing really new, Ecclesiastes says. So we focus in on the scriptures. Encourage believers and teach them the word of God, these truths. Staying in the word. 1 Timothy 4 verse 16 goes on to say, Keep a close watch then on how you live and stay true to what is right. That's a part about being disciplined. Keep a close watch on how I live. Stay true to what is right. I'm not sure how many of you would know the name if I say it, Charles Spurgeon, but he was a great preacher and often quoted, and he says such wise things. And I came across a couple quotes, which I really think help put this into perspective. He said this, it was very countercultural in the way he preached, and as a result of that, thousands came to know. Christ, because they hadn't really known him in a true way. And as he preached, they said, I, I, I don't know this Christ, I want to know him. So he says, it is not in reading the scriptures that does good, but the soul inwardly feeding on it. The soul inwardly feeding on the scriptures and digesting them. Not just knowledge, but life springing from our soul. Not just knowledge. Many people have knowledge of the scriptures. Maybe you and I have knowledge of the scriptures, but it's digesting them. It's letting it be part of it, flowing up from in us so that we're not meditating like we're trying to remember a little song or a ditty, but it's flowing in and out of us. And we're meditating on these thoughts as the spirit brings them to mind for us to meditate on day and night. It goes on in a further quote to say about meditation. As think on these things day and night, meditate on them. So Spurgeon goes on referring to Psalm 1 and he says, it's like you chew the cud like a cow. It may seem disgusting, but you chew the cud and it gets into the sweetness and the nutritive value of the word. You don't just gobble it down quickly, you chew it, you savor it, you digest it, but, but work it through until the fullness of it all comes into our being. We bring it into our heart and to our life. He goes on to say, this is the way the godly bring forth much fruit. We chew it, we get into the sweetness of it, 
the nutritive value of it becomes part and parcel of us. The nutritive value of the word becomes part of us, into my heart and into my life. And this is the way the godly bring forth much fruit. Amen, Charles Spurgeon. What a great quote. So Psalm chapter 1, verse 3, goes on and says that if you don't follow the way and the truth of all those around us that are speaking what they speak, and if you don't follow sinners and if you don't follow mockers, yeah, we'll look weird and we'll be a little disassociated, but we'll be meditating. We'll be thinking on day and night the law of the Lord, the life of God, be flowing up in and through us. And as a result of that, Psalm chapter 1, verse 3 concludes this portion by saying, we will then be like trees planted by the waterway, bearing fruit in each season, their leaves never withering, and they prosper in all they do. When I look around my backyard here, and I've got gaping cracks in the clay soil, and just yesterday, as I said, I was down by the river, just down the street here, and all by the banks, it's all lush and green because it's being nurtured by the water. It's feeding by this water that doesn't run out. It flows all the time. So if we stay in God's word like this, we're like those trees that are planted by the waterway. And if we're planted firmly in God's word, if we're getting the nutrition out of it, the nutritive value out of it, to quote Spurgeon, if we're getting that out and becoming part of our life, part of our soul, then we bear fruit in season. Every season we bear fruit and our leaves don't wither. We stay alive no matter what. This is really what living in the fullness of joy is all about. And 1 Timothy 4 verse 6 describes it as being nourished by the message of faith. Stay nourished in the word of God. It's so different than the council all around us. It's so rich. It's so satisfying. It's, it's truly joy-giving. It's fruitful. It's purpose-filled. It's the way of living. It's the way of abiding. It's bearing much fruit and in doing so, bringing glory to God. Being prosperous is one of the ways it describes it in verse 3 here, and of great value. Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3. A reading closing. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit in each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. May that be yours and my story as we live out our lives until Jesus returns. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the joy of your word. It's living, it's active, it's true. It pierces and yet it heals, it restores, it renews, it feeds us, it nurtures us. We can't live without you, living bread, living word, we need you. Spirit of God, reveal daily to us your life, your word, your truth. I pray through Jesus and bless my brothers and sisters. Bless Dan and Amy and family as they travel out west and enjoy some time together. Bless our time together wherever we may be today. Lord, bless this day. Bless your word. 
Encourage us in your truth, I pray in Jesus. Amen. Thanks, everybody. It's so good being together. God bless you. Bye.